You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name is Dusty. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm really glad that you have chosen to join us today. And I'd just like to pray for you. This is a strange uh, time all the way around, uh, fair enough. And I just want to pray for, uh, for strength, endurance, help from God for, for all of us while we lean into him in the middle of it all. So let's, let's pray. Lord, for just in general in life, Lord, would you give strength? Would you give wisdom? Would you provide help? And I know there are some that are probably um, joining us right now that are, that are likely very um, exhausted and even discouraged God, would you lift their head and encourage them and um, that there would be an enjoyment and an experience of your promises, of your presence, um, that your, your spirit would be a reminder of your care. And also for today, that even outside of just the normal goings-on, that, that if you don't speak, what do we do? Where do we turn? So God, from your word, that we would hear from you, that you would lift our heads, you would refresh our souls, even convert some, that some would, for the first time, experience your kindness in Christ. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, um, what I'm going to do is we're going to be, the sermon proper is going to be in Colossians chapter 4. That We have a reading plan. We, most, time, most of the time, pick a chapter from the reading plan. I would invite you to join us on this journey that uh, I think incredibly helpful to individually be walking with the Lord and even in a way that you can be talking with some of your Redeemer friends about what it is that you're reading and hearing and, and seeing there. But something I'm going um, to do before we get there, and what we're going to do when we get there, by the way, is just talking about making the best use of our time. I think it's something that, that all of us want to do, especially with the people that God has put in our lives. And more than just survival, by the way, more than just, well, let's see if we can get through it till there's a vaccine or, or whatever, if you're talking COVID or through a tough season in your life, uh, going, well, I'm just going to kind of, you know, kind of batten down the hatches and see if I can hold on. Something more than that, like actually redeeming and making use of the time where God's kingdom could deepen and expand through you. That's where we're going to land in chapter four. But actually, I want a long time here on the front end, actually to not just talk about stuff, but just to read scripture from Colossians with you, if that's okay. Okay, so I'm going to read a section of scripture from uh, the first three chapters, and I just want you to feast on it. I'm not going to comment much at all. I'm just going to read the Bible for a bit, and that you would walk away uh, with just a, a real sense of God's kindness and the beauty of grace and all that Christ has done for his people. And that if you're a Christian, these are promises that are yours to experience deeply. And if you're not a Christian, that, that you might, that you might Come in and taste and see the goodness of God. So I'm going to start in chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 13 through 22. And Kenan had an excellent sermon last week on, uh, on sections of, of Colossians 1. And you should go back and listen to that. But just listen, listen to this scripture as I read it. Verse 13. He has delivered us from the do- domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. In whom, talking about Christ, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, then in everything he might be preeminent, first and best. 
in other words. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace, listen to this, by the blood of the cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, that's you, that's me, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach, before him. So transferred to a new kingdom. He, Jesus is creator. He's redeemer, holding everything together, fully God, first and best, made peace with his subjects like you and me that were formerly hostile. Incredible. Now let's move to chapter two, verses one through four. <clears throat> for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery. That will not be the last time we hear that phrase, which is Christ. This is God's mystery, Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Verse 4, by the way, is really the context for Colossians, is there are some plausible arguments that people were making that were actually causing people to stray away from this gospel of grace, of Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus' resurrection from the dead, and all of those promises that then unfold for God's people. But all, all of those encouraging things there, that your heart would be encouraged, could you use some of that? Being knit together in love, could you use some of that? Uh, being pulled together by God's grace and, and even a, a sense of an understanding of this, this mystery that, um, that God would reconcile ho formerly hostile enemies uh, through sending his own son, that God would come. I mean, have you thought about this? That if you've been around Christian stuff for a while, it may just be so old hat to you that God came to the earth like to solve this problem, came as a baby, and uh, they'd been waiting for thousands of years for a Messiah, really a thousand years anyways, and really thousands if you go back to Genesis 3, that there would be a promise that the offspring of the woman would come and, and crush the head of the serpent. Really from the very beginning, there was a promise of redemption, and it would come in the form of a baby, Jesus, and would grow into adulthood, but never sin, and then ultimately teach all these amazing things, and then point the way towards reconciliation with God through his crucifixion and resurrection, incredible, the knowledge of God's mystery. And, and in Christ, all of these treasures of wisdom and knowledge are there. Now, chapter three, um, this is incredible. Um, if then you have been raised with Christ, this is talking to Christians. If He's gonna follow some conclusions now. If you've been raised with Christ, as he is resurrected from the dead and you're raised with him by faith, seek the things that are above. Now, this is talking about your life where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are here on earth. So here's some exhortation for you. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, that's pretty cool, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore. So because of all these things, because you've been raised with Christ, because of the gospel of grace that's real to you, that you've believed in, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. In these you too once walked. This is what your life was about, was pursuing these things when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. And he gives another representative list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another, uh, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. So we've, we've, re- we've renounced those things. And even whenever we sin, we say, oh man, I don't know why I went back to that, that broken pattern of sexuality and, and those kind of things flowing from my mouth and, and not being honest about things. And I, I, I've put those things off and then we repent of it. And then um, we verse 10, put on a new self positively, which is being renewed. Isn't that beautiful? In knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and, um, and in all. So even here, we renounce racism and any sense of classism, uh, that, that we're putting off all of these old things, and then we're putting on uh, this, this mind and this soul that's been renewed by the gospel of grace through God's Holy Spirit. This is what he's done, and there's actually implications for how we live. It's not just something we believe. It's not just a sense of, well, I believe this about God, and I believe this is how we're reconciled with God, even though, yes, it then begins to have a trickle down into how we live. We put to death these old parts of us, and they're going to come back, and we can continue to put them to death. This is the process of repentance, and we're being renewed, spiritually speaking, even while our outward body is wasting away. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says inwardly, we're being renewed and restored by Jesus and his grace, and it actually causes change in us on how we live and what we value. And uh, this is why, if you think this is kind of a strange thing that's happening here, that this is actually how every single epistle in the New Testament works, every one of them, no exceptions, especially the Pauline ones in particular. It starts off with a statement of gospel truth, Christ's death and resurrection. In the first part of the book, in Romans, that went on for 11 chapters. In Colossians, it goes on for a couple. And then it goes on, Romans 12 through 16, and here, Colossians 3 and 4, it begins to say, okay, because of this, now let's chat about what we value and how we live and what we love and what we do. And then it goes into the practical. And so that then sets the stage now for us into chapter 4. And don't panic, I'm not going to like start the clock on a whole new sermon now. That was part of the sermon, is you just saturating yourself in God's Word, being reminded of His promises, even being wooed in, if you're an outsider to grace, being wooed in to say, this is what you've been longing for, just to hear these gospel promises. And then now we move into to what it means to be a Christian. This, this now is going to talk to those of you that, uh, that are followers of Christ, and you want to make the most of your time, and you've got this unique season, not only COVID, but the people that are in your life right now. So now you're going to get pushed a little bit, to not just survive, but deepen and expand God's kingdom where he's planted you. So here we go. Let's pick up in verse 2 of chapter 4, because there's really a new thought that begins here. I think the first verse really belongs previously with, the, um, with chapter 3, and we're actually going to pick up that theme next week in Ephesians. So here we go. Verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. This is another gospel implication. Because of grace, because you've been reconciled with God, why don't you talk to him a bit, all right? So uh, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And I think that we could use more of this. Like, you need this. Like, I'm not here screaming at you about pray, pray more, get off my lawn, you know, that kind of thing, that that's not actually what I'm doing. Uh, that instead, this is what you need um, so much is that uh, because of grace, in addition to moral things that we put to death, like the wicked things, and then we put on new things, a new mind, set on the things above, that in addition to, to there being a new way of living, uh, there's also a new relationship with God that Christians have. And that prayer is really the act of faith, if you really think about it. That if you really want to know, this will leave a mark, um, and I know this from personal experience of doing this way too much, 
If you want to know um, how self-reliant you are and indifferent to the things of God you are, um, the thing I would lift up to you is like exhibit A of that, a little Ziploc baggie, is going to be your prayer life. And you can talk all you want about, no, I'm just dependent on the Lord to get me through it. But if you're not actually leaning into him and, and praising, praising him in prayer, but also even just asking very specific things of him, and just continuing to knock that door and go, Lord, please, will you, will you, send, will you put this virus night-night or whatever, you, however you would say that? Uh, would you, uh, would you help, help my family with this thing? And would you help me get through this tough situation that I'm going through? And would you provide for me financially right now with the weird situation I'm in? And will you get me, I mean, on and on. And would you intervene in, in my friend that doesn't know you? Would you, would you help them see? And would you, um, would you heal my friend here that's going through this terrible circumstance? And on and on, um, that this is, if you actually do trust the Lord and if you are depending on the Lord, that the, the breath of that, um, the actual fruit of that, maybe more than any other thing is going to be prayer. And sometimes I can dress this up. I can play a lot of little games with myself to make myself feel like I'm on, on good footing and like carrying more high ground. Sometimes my prayerlessness, I'll excuse it and say, well, I just, Lord, I just trust you. And so whatever he thinks, right, you just, you're going to do what you're going to do anyways. I can even do some like theological, uh, you know, black belt stuff there and go, oh, you know, you're, you're sovereign. And so I'm not, I'm going to bother you with all this. And you're, you, you do a good job. You got a hundred percent approval rating from the likes of me. So you just do what you're going to go do. And it sounds spiritual, doesn't it? And yet, uh, and yet God invites us to pray and things change as we do. Um, and yet, for whatever reason, I like just to solve problems on my own and lean on my own understanding and wisdom and, uh, and not lean into his. And, and here, this is an encouragement to continue steadfastly in prayer because of grace, because of the cross, because of the resurrection, steadfastly. Just keep knocking. Keep knocking on the door every day, multiple times a day. It's okay that you continue to ask for the same things and asking for God to intervene and for grace to be experienced by you and by others and for God to sustain. Um, but we're going to do it watchfully and we're going to do it with thanksgiving. Um, thankful hearts are in rare supply right now. Have you noticed? Just a general thank. Those kind of people to me are like a breath of fresh air that I love surrounding myself with people that are just thankful that everywhere they look, they see God's kindness towards them, even in tough circumstances. And that that kind of thanksgiving would mark our perspectives, but even in our prayer life, that it, it starts with thanksgiving and a reminder of of God's kindness. I was encouraged to do this a while back, and I'm starting to see things start to trickle in, that I was with a group of pastors, and this one uh, pastor said, you know something I've started to do is I keep a journal, and I, I write only Jesus at the bottom of my you know, daily entry, and I just list some bold prayers that I can only ascribe to Jesus if they happened. And then I go back and re review these, sometimes weeks or even months or years later, and I begin to highlight the ones that the Lord did the thing that I asked. And he started just flipping through his journal, and like that, that color, I think it was yellow, was just all over the journal. That might be something to consider here. With thankful hearts, just make bold prayers, um, steadfastly asking the Lord to intervene. All right, verse 3, let's pick up. There's an interesting pivot here. It's not really a different conversation. Uh, but it's really going to focus outwardly um, on those who have yet to know who Christ is. At the same time, pray also for us. So Paul and his like missionary group basically is asking for prayer and extension of that prayer that was asked for in verse 2, that God may open uh, to us a door for the word 
to declare the mystery of Christ. That's not the first time you've heard that. On account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So this is an interesting pivot because Paul's going to now say, hey, now, why don't you, while you're praying, thankfully, steadfastly, why don't you pray for me and our group? Because we are taking the gospel message to the ends of the earth and pray that God would kick open a door of opposition, give us an opportunity to share. And um, that's one of the things that we're going to pray, pray for is for opportunities for God's word to expand and to go out and for God's kingdom to deepen and for it to expand. And even the specific ask is that Paul would make it clear. And if you're not a Christian, I hope that it, today it's clear what it would mean to be a Christian. You may reject it, but you may say, well, okay, I, I understand what I'm rejecting. Christ crucified, Christ resurrected, and a new life in him. I don't, I don't think I need that. I don't know if I believe that. You'd at least that it would be clear to you. Well, Paul was making that prayer how many ever years ago? A couple thousand years ago, saying that, that, that it would be clear here as well. And so he's talking about his group taking the gospel out. And prayer needed to kick in a door uh, of opposition. Okay, so verse 5 now is where we're going to start talking about if we're, if we're just surviving, um, if we're making use of our time where God has placed you, not only with COVID, but in your particular life stage as a single, as, um, as a student, as um, a, a couple, as a, a child in a home, whatever it is that you are, like you, you're a person and God's put you exactly where he's put you for a time. Look at verse 5. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. And don't take offense to that term. It's just talking about people that are outside of God's grace, outside of God's covenant community, the church. These are people, like, if you're not a Christian, you're like, yeah, I do feel that. Like, I, you guys all have, have this relationship with God you talk about, and you have this community um, that you're re- remembering these promises. These are outsiders, and it says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. And that's what I want to talk about for a little bit. And if you don't mind, I'd like just to share some of my um, reflections, and maybe I'm a little bit more sentimental right now because I've got a high school senior that just graduated that we dropped off in Florida by himself um, to train over the course of the summer, but it has me reflecting a lot on seasons of life. And so I started thinking back to my life and just different seasons of relationships that were like almost all-encompassing at the time. So I remember growing up, I was kind of like a free-range chicken, and I don't even know if people knew where I was. I really don't think they did. I, every day, it's kind of like I did whatever I wanted to, especially in the summer. Nowadays, parents would never go for that kind of deal. But I, uh, I just kind of do what I wanted to do, and I had a couple of neighborhood friends, and we would play wiffle ball, I mean, dozens of innings a day. In heaven, I want to see my career ERA. I think it'll be like 0.2 um, because it'll curve that can rise up like that. We played every day, all the time, fished for crawdads. We do every, everything in the world, man. We just were, we're doing stuff. And, um, and, and I had these really close friends. And then uh, it's like I'm, I went into middle school and high school and they just kind of evaporated. And everybody kind of went their own way and I never really saw them anymore. And then you get into high school. And do you guys remember high school? Uh, that I actually really enjoyed that. Junior high, not so much. But I had these friends and had the, it was so important, like how you were seen in those circles and, and where you were at in the social pecking order and how good you were at things, whether it was school or athletics or, or something like that. And it was like everything was what people thought of you in your social capital. And then you, I graduated and moved to Lubbock. I'd never been to Lubbock in my life before I drove out to Texas Tech from Fort Worth. And then, like, then those relationships just evaporated nearly, you know. Like I kept up with a couple of them to this day. That's who I, I still talk to. 
And then I went to college and I had this incredible, like for the first time, I, the church is not something I hated. And I had these Christian friends and we played intramurals together and we lived in residence halls and roomed together and we we're together all the time and had so much fun. God did incredible things too. And, um, and that was my experience. And then I graduated and then it evaporated again. And I've got a handful of people I keep in contact with, but everybody kind of scattered and they went to different places. And then, and then started a family and Amy and I are married and then my little brother moves in with us and, and then we had children. And what's interesting is, is as you have kids, your relationships are oftentimes dictated by your, your children and their parents. And for instance, like I was coaching um, really both of my kids, and you have all these, like your community is in these, these different relationships and these different sports your kids are doing or whatever you're into. And like we had this, I mean, all these controversies and drama and fun times. And it was, again, it was huge if you could beat some of your rivals and all this between the kids and the adults. And then you go into middle school and it evaporates again. And you never see them. Everybody kind of goes their own way. And then in high school, you have these new relationships with form. Uh, from your, your children uh, and their parents and, and you're with each other all the time in the gym and the field and at school activities. And, and it's like, again, everything is there and these relationships are really bonding until they're gone. And then, then it kind of scatters again. And then you have, I, I don't know this part yet, uh, but some of you in this room do, where you go into empty nest, um, the empty nest stage. And then now you've got, you've got the home to yourself, a new space for relationships and um, a different, now your grandkids and doing things like that. And, and so here's the thing. If you're wondering, like, what's your point to this? Are you saying that none of that matters because um, there are these seasons and your neighborhood friend, Billy Alexander, and you never talk to him anymore and your high school buddies that you don't talk to anymore and on and on? I'm actually going to make the opposite point to you. The point I want to make is every one of these stages mattered. Every one of them. Like, so if you're 11, your neighborhood friends and that God has put you with them matters. If you're 17 and you are in a junior in high school this year, your relationships with your friends, they matter. It matters. If you're in college and you've got roommates and fraternity brothers and you've got, like these relationships matter and you, you transition into young adulthood and maybe you're single and you're, now your life as a single is different than it was in college and these new relationships in grad school or as you start your profession, they matter. And if you're raising a family and now you've got elementary age kids and this binds you together with other, uh, other families that now have the same age kids, like you have these, these relationships and they matter. And then if your kids get older, that, that, that matters. And then um, when you're an empty nester, those relationships matter. But here's my point. All of them are there for a season, a season. You're, even your kids in the stage they're in, it's a season. You have these things for a time. And so here what Paul is saying is that make the most use of your time being wise with outsiders. Um, <clears throat> there's a wisdom there, making the best use of our time. And there's a call here as Christians to be one of his sent ones in the same way that Paul was saying, pray for me for there to be an opportunity um, to uh, you know, basically de de declare um, God's word, the gospel of grace, that that same thing is true for you, that you have this season and God has put these people in your life and all of it matters. Like, go get it. Man, instead of just hunkering down and saying, man, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna sit here and complain about masks uh, for the next few months and just kind of shake my fist 
at policymakers, if you think they're making it too tight or if it's too loose, and I'm just going to sit around and complain on the internet about all the things that I don't like, um, what would happen instead if there was something winsome about you, something wise about you, and that you even leaned into some relationships? And here might be one filter to consider is I want you to think about this, particularly with outsiders, that's the language of the text. If you're a Christian, I want you to think about do you have some people in your life that are not like church-going folk, um, that are not believers in Christ, that seem to reach out to you for relationship? They may not be coming to you to say, will you teach me the mystery of Christ? You know, that kind of thing. They may not be doing that. But uh, they are saying, hey, man, what, uh, what are you guys doing tonight? And uh, you guys want to go get together and wear masks um, outside together? And do you want to go hang out? Whatever. Like they text you, they talk to you, they uh, they want to go hang out. They maybe they're coworkers, and they in the break uh, in between they like to say, "Hey, uh, hey, can I ask you about something? I'm just having some trouble with somebody I'm dating right now, and I can't, you know, whatever." I mean, is there somebody that comes to mind right now? And this is what excites me. I bet so. I bet so, because I thought of it whenever I started asking myself that question that spurred here, and I thought of two individuals that are in my life right now that for whatever reason are reaching out and that really want to deepen a relationship. What would happen if the few hundred people that are in this room today, the few hundred people that are watching online today, if all of us thought, ooh, I can think of him, ooh, she's been reaching out lately, and if you were to intentionally with wisdom, make the best use of that time. You may not have that relationship in a year. There are divorces and job transfers and transitions and seasons and all those things, but God has put you in this place, in this time, not to survive, but instead to deepen and to grow and to be renewed spiritually and to expand the kingdom with the people that God has put you in in, uh, proximity with, not me, but this is God's people. And even if they can't come to this building right now, you bring these promises with you everywhere you go. And then verse six even gives a little bit more to that. Let your speech always be gracious. Um, Do you think we need some of this right now? Seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Even on a public discourse right now, this to me is almost never happening right now. You could just pick the issue on whatever it is, that it's sarcastic. It makes a straw man out of other positions oftentimes. Um, it's mean, it's condescending, it's snarky, that if you think this, then, then it's all over, um, on and on. You know what I'm talking about because you experience it all the same time too. What would happen if God's people were leading the way and making arguments for things? I'm not saying we should just go along with the flow and whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter. That in, in fact, we do need to make arguments. But what happens if there is something kind and deferential and winsome and wise about how it is that we're even making conversations on the, in the public square. Furthermore, um, even whenever we're having in relationship, the way that we interact with people that we disagree with, that have wronged us, even that we're talking about issues with, can you imagine if there's something of the grace that we've heard about in all four chapters of Colossians, this is Paul's argument, that if grace is real and true, if the cross is beautiful, and if, it is, if Jesus has redeemed you, and if you are one of his, and you've been made right with him, that we're going to die to these old things, and we're going to live to these new things, and one of those things is going to be the way that we engage people, and how you talk matters. Even if you're having a theological conversation with another Christian, it matters. I heard an old theologian, I can't remember which one it was, like an old preacher type, talk about the doctrines of grace about God's sovereignty in all things, including salvation. And he said, there's two different ways to talk about it. One way is like a tablespoon of sugar jammed down their throat, and they will almost certainly gag. 
if you do it that way. Another way is just a little bit of a sprinkle that you just kind of do like this and everything you cook and it'll taste sweet and they won't know why. And that's what you're being called to is you could do this with whether it's a theological debate or a political debate or a conversation about masks or not, or any, it could be anything at all. And you could jam that tablespoon of sugar down someone's throat and you might even be right. You might even have science on your side. You might even have the Bible on your side on the issue, but they may reject Jesus, not because they're rejecting the propositions of the Bible of God coming to the earth in Christ, crucified, resurrected, making new, but they're rejecting you and your attitude in your mouth. So we don't want to be one of those people that are, are turning people off because of how we are coming off. Instead, let's let people reject grace on the, on the reality of what is presented in the Bible and not how we come off. So here's the thing, y'all. You've got this season you're in, and I don't know how much longer it's going to go on. I mean, let's, COVID is one thing, but I'm talking right now. You're a college junior, and you've got a couple more years, and I don't even know if those relationships will be exactly like they are. They almost never are static. And those of you with kids and it feels like they're never going to get potty trained and you're, you're never going to get out of this thing where they're coming into bed um, in your house at two in the morning and whatever that thing is, or um, you're wondering how much longer you're going to get to keep your job and you've got these different things you're experiencing, like the seasons never last, but God's promises do and God's grace is real. You're called to do more than survive, but instead thrive by God's grace, hold on to these promises and make the most of your time. Um, being wise, even with your speech, um, that we would be saturated with grace in all that we do, even while we make arguments and even while we um, stand for what God is standing for and even while we uphold justice, there's a way that we do it that is marked by kindness and by the grace of God. So um, that's very much what I want us to see. And you start to think about the catalytic, catalytic power of all that are here and all that are online being God's sent ones into this community and the impact of that, um, it'll make your head spin in a really good way to think about what God might do through us. So let's stand, and I'm going to pray for us um, that this would uh, be true of us and we'd be marked by God's grace in this way. So God, the scripture we heard read, the one we plunged into a little bit deeper in chapter four, that we would be your people, that we wouldn't just hold on and hunker down right now, but instead that our connection with you would deepen and the Christians in our life, our children and our friends and our roommates and our spouse, and that our relationship with you and with one another would deepen, but also with outsiders, that instead of just trying to get through this, that you would make us your sent people into the city, into the world, to the nations, so that you would be known in the way that we would speak um, and the way that we would live would not turn off people to you, but instead that grace would actually mark us even on how we talk and how we engage, that there would be a wisdom that would be had here. So, Lord, we let us persevere in prayer, just continue knocking on the door. Lord, would you do awesome things in our midst? And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we're going to sing and we're going to declare the grace that we heard about in all four chapters of Colossians. I want to invite you to do that. And then we're also going to take, um, whenever you're ready, we have um, Lord's Supper elements. If you are, are present here in this room and you didn't grab one on the way in, we've got um, up front, we have two areas. You can come grab them whenever you're ready and you can take whenever you're ready. The bread representing Christ's body, the, uh, the juice representing Christ's blood that was shed. And what a precious promise it is that it really wasn't about me. It wasn't about you. It was about, uh, we were enemies. That's what we brought. But instead, uh, God countered that with grace. And that's what you're saying. And really, when you, you're taking this, what you're saying is, Lord, I want my whole life to reflect that grace. 
and your kindness and your reconciling power. So um, come and take whenever you're ready. If you're doing this from home, um, then you can, whatever you can, elements you have to approximate that, you can take. If you do not believe in these promises that we've talked about today, Colossians, then please don't take. But if you want to have that conversation, we will be ready to have it whenever you are. So let's all sing. Um, Let's declare these truths together.